0: Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. So today's scripture reading will be found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, starting at verse 12, and we'll read until verse 17. And let us stand before our God as we read his living word. And the word of the Lord says So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with, with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: We have been uh, studying through the book of Romans, and we have come to the eighth chapter. Uh, and by the way, uh, in case you came in, if, used, if, if you wanted an outline, there are sermon outlines uh, in the back if you would uh, like to, to have one. And get one. But for these uh, eight months as we have examined the book of Romans, we have reached what is the central uh, chapter to this great book, a chapter that someone referred to as the Hallelujah Chorus of the Bible. If you memorize Romans 8, as many of us are seeking to do, and you meditate on its meaning, you will come to understand the central focus and the heart of the gospel. We know the whole Bible expounds and explains and extols the glory of God. That's its central purpose is the glory of God from the first of creation all the way through to the new creation. From Genesis chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22. God is the central focus. Yahweh, the great I am, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The pages of Scripture are filled with hope, filled with life, truth, with justice that pours forth from God himself The whole purpose and the whole plan that God foreordained before bringing this universe into being. The one who bring it to its ultimate and final conclusion. All of that came out of the heart of God himself. God the Father brought forth the plan. but The Son... In union with the Father, knowing the Father's will, spoke it into being. He spoke creation into existence, and then he entered into creation, becoming a man, a human, living in the midst of this world that he created to redeem it, as Romans 8 says, from its bondage to corruption. He did it through his sacrifice on the cross, which Antoinette spoke of just a few moments ago to the children, through his suffering and through his death. And in all of that, raised up in power so that you and I can be transformed, so that we can be changed, so that we can have new life through him. The eternal son, becoming a man in the flesh, dominates the whole of Scripture it points to Him from beginning to end. However, the whole of creation and, res- and redemption came into existence through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who moved over the waters in Genesis chapter 1 so that when the purpose of God was spoken through the Son, It is the Holy Spirit that brought that son's word into existence. And God said, let there be, and there was. And that same Holy Spirit moved within Mary to bring forth Jesus Christ. That redemption of that creation might take place. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, the scripture says. But where did that wisdom come from? It came from the Holy Spirit in him. He was baptized into his ministry by the Holy Spirit, driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil by the Holy Spirit, He overcame the temptations by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was present in order that he might be able to perform the miracles that he did. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me so that he could carry out his ministry. In Gethsemane, it was the Holy Spirit who gave him the ability to say, Abba, Father. It was the Holy Spirit who was present with him to give him the words to speak when he was in his trial. And that same Holy Spirit was the one who sustained him on that cross until those final words were spoken unto you, Do I commit my spirit? And it was the Holy Spirit three days later whose power it was that raised him from the dead so that we might be justified, declared right in the sight of God. The Spirit who formed creation, who gave power and wisdom to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here in Romans 8, we are told that it is that same Spirit that is at work in you and me. That the same Spirit that did all of those things is the Spirit that God has given to us that we might have wisdom and we might have power to live out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The same glorious power, the same glorious wisdom that our Lord had. And so, as our theme from this passage states this morning, the Holy Spirit makes faith live. The Holy Spirit makes your faith and my faith live. Now, I'm not talking here only about the fact that He wakens faith within us, though that is a powerful truth that we need to understand. You see, Romans 8 opens up in verses 1 to 11 to teach us the the, the grand truths of, of God's work in redemption through Jesus Christ. Notice that it teaches us that the Holy Spirit makes our atonement real in our lives the Holy Spirit at work that takes this powerful truth of what the death of Jesus Christ accomplished, what His resurrection brought forth. It is the Holy Spirit that makes that atonement real to us. The Apostle Paul, here in this 8th chapter of Romans, under the inspiration of the Divine Spirit, speaks to us, showing a glorious contrast between those who have the Spirit and those who do not. Those who live in the flesh and those who live under the power of the Holy Spirit through the atoning sacrifice and death resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So having described in chapter 7 of Romans what life is like without the Spirit, where even the law of God given to the people would not enable them to be able to live out a godly life so that they are unable, the Scripture says, to stop sinning. In chapter 8, Paul opens up with those wonderful truths of the freedom that is ours through what he says is the law of the spirit of life. Of life. What a precious word, life. Oh, Paul is not talking about the ability of us to breathe, to to have physical life, and our thoughts might go there since COVID has such an effect on so many. But no, life, as he is describing it here in this chapter, is the life that the writer of Hebrews tells us about in Hebrews 6. Those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. That kind of life is what he is describing for us. It is the experience of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God, living in emptiness, a meaningless life. But the Holy Spirit, having applied the atoning death of Jesus Christ and His power of the resurrection, has given to us Life. Meditate on that. Think about that. Life. Life that that John tells us is not only eternal, but is abundant. Life. That reality is described again in Ephesians chapter 2. One of Sean's favorite verses. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is what it means to have life. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ becomes real to us when we understand what that kind of life is all about. And so Paul, in those first 11 verses, gives us this grand contrast between living in the flesh, which is death, and living in the Spirit, which is life and peace. Through the atoning sacrifice that he spoke about in Romans chapter 3, and then again in Romans chapter 5, which is why our text begins in verse 12 by saying, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You see, it's those two opening words, so then, so then, words that, that speak to our hearts that tell us that what He has said in the first 11 verses, they all come together there in verse 12. So then, because we have that same Spirit, the Spirit who brings life to us, the Spirit who worked in Jesus Christ that led Him from the, the moment of conception until the moment of death and then raised Him from the dead, since that Holy Spirit is the same one who is in us to bring to us life, He gives us a heart that beats for God, that beats for God's glory, places within us a spirit of confession, so that sin is not a norm to us. He gives us a love for our Savior. He gives us a desire to glorify our Father who is in heaven so that we do not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And so what we see in in this opening verse is that the Holy Spirit makes our faith, come alive. And how does he do that? Making the atonement real to us. Letting us not only confess our sins and and ask him to forgive our sins, but letting the reality of that atonement that, that makes us one with God become real in our hearts. And so our question for you this morning then is have you been born again? Do you have that new life? Is it real to you? Or is it just words that are spoken when the preacher says, do you have a relationship with God? Yeah, I have a relationship with God. The question isn't, do you have a relationship with God? It is, is God real in your life? has the atonement made you at one with him so that you live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and do not walk according to the flesh. You see, you and I, we owed a debt, a debt too great for us to pay, a debt to your Creator because you stole your life from him. You stole your life And like the prodigal, you wasted it. The eternal Son of God, however, left all of the riches and wealth and glory of heaven. He left behind his power to come into this world, to accept the mocking and the torture and the eventual death to pay for your theft. How much is that worth? Add it up. How much is all of the wealth of heaven worth? How much is being equal with God worth? How much is the humiliation of him leaving all of that behind and becoming a human being, the one who created the universe coming down into the speck that we call earth? How much is that worth how much is this suffering worth now add all of that up and you can see that the debt that you owe and the debt that i owe is infinite but jesus paid it willingly by going to the cross dying in your place and mine that's the atonement And what should be then our response to such a great sacrifice on our behalf? People ought to love him and willingly serve him, give him their all. They ought to have a a glad heart that rejoices in what God has done. But look around you. Not at the people here, hopefully Each one here has a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But but look around you at your family, at your friends, your your co-workers. How many of them love God? How many of them have have given Him their all because of what He has done? How many have surrendered their hearts and their lives to God? Not many. Many. Not many, though they owe all to Him. You see, it is only those in whom the Holy Spirit has brought that new life. It is only to them as He awakens faith within them, as He gives His Spirit and His power to them. Can anyone love God? And can anyone serve Him? And that's why the Apostle Paul, in the second point in our text, shows us that the Holy Spirit makes our allegiance happen. He makes the atonement real, and through making that real to us, he makes our allegiance to God well up within us. You see, without the Spirit in a person's heart, they will not live for God, they will not serve God, they will live for their flesh. What does that mean? Well, verse 13 lets us know. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what we have here is a definition of what it means to live in the flesh. He says, put to death the deeds of the body. That is, living in this world as if your body is all that matters. The things that you need to keep this physical body going, that's all that matters. Nothing else is important to you. Everything else is aimed at making the body live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if you put to death those those passions of your flesh, then you will live. So what Paul really is saying here, he wants us to know that whoever lives in this world as if this world is all that is important. Putting God in his little box that we do on Sunday so that, that, you know, well, God fits into my little box area. Then you will go through life, he says, as a dead person. A living dead. But the Holy Spirit changes all of that. The Holy Spirit fills life with meaning. It fills us with purpose. He opens our eyes to see the world, as, as Nick shared with us last week, with a different perspective, a worldview that sees beyond this life, sees into eternity. He teaches us how to set aside the hollow activities of our daily life. And fills us instead with hope, purpose, meaning. We see the world in technicolor and not in black and white. Right, Nick? <laughs> A whole new way of viewing things. He replaces the daily living in this world with a desire to walk and be in the presence of the one who is eternal. The Holy Spirit weeds out the trash in our lives. Those meaningless activities, the self-focused areas where all we think about is, what is this going to do for me that will always lead us to sin? Day by day, if the Holy Spirit is in you, He is causing your allegiance to shift from yourself to God, causing you to, to bring glory to God rather than glory to self every moment, clarifying for us what is right and what is wrong and how we live. And we follow All of that with a sense that life, life, is real, not hollow. Romans 6 tells us what it means to shift that attention, the attention from myself to the glory of God when it says, Yield yourselves, servants, to righteousness. Yield yourself. That is, give your allegiance to something worth more than a few more breaths on this planet. When we follow after God by faith in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we live. So The Holy Spirit then makes our faith come alive by making our allegiance to Christ happen. There's a great confusion going on in our country right now, a confusion about what we should be giving our allegiance to. A group of individuals have told us that the United States of America is a horrible place to live. They've set about destroying the cities of America, burning, looting, even killing. And they've done it all in the name of their belief system. And at the core, the leaders have an allegiance, an allegiance to the goals that they have established no matter what the cost to themselves or the cost to this nation. Well, our text reminds us that we must have an allegiance as well, not to the flag of America and not to a mob rule, not to a president and not to a governor, not to a political party, not to Black Lives Matter, not to any other group, organization or government. We have an obligation, an obligation to pray for our government. We have an obligation to vote for those who who would slow down the spread of evil in this country. We have an obligation to speak for truth and for righteousness. But our allegiance, the giving of our heart, there is only one to whom we must give that. And that is to God. God is the one and only that we must serve, how then ought we to live in this world? Paul's third instruction in this text. The Holy Spirit makes our alignment straight. Through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit makes real to us, we change our allegiance from God or from ourselves to God. And having changed that allegiance, we now seek to align our lives with Him, with His purpose, with His presence. My first job when I got out of high school was to work at a uh, tire repair uh, shop. And in that shop, we had one mechanic uh, who did front-end alignments, back then most of the the uh, the cars had transmissions uh were in the rear rather than the front and, and so you had to do the front end alignment you still have to align it but not as as much as we used to on the old cars and so uh it was that was John's business John did alignments now I grew up in rural Pennsylvania uh, Ruth can tell you that in uh, rural you know Pennsylvania there are some rough roads out there aren't there uh there's even the the not dirt roads are almost like dirt roads at times, and so it's, it's pretty rough. And so we had a, a good business lining the, uh, the, the cars and getting the, their alignment right. But, you know, the, the worst situation for me and my car was not the roads in Pennsylvania. It was here in New York City. You see, my uh, father's mother, my grandmother, uh, passed away, and uh, I came to visit my sister, who at that time was living up on the west side of Manhattan, um, and came to her, and then we were gonna to go to the funeral together. And since uh, my brother-in-law was a, a part-time taxi driver and knew the city quite well, um, everybody piled into my car, which is the largest uh, car. Uh, he was driving a little Fiat, two-seater, so everybody couldn't get in his car. And I made the mistake of giving him my keys, and saying, "Since you know the city, why don't you drive, uh, you know, us there?" Well, after he went up on the curb for the third time, and had bumped it a couple times, I mean, he's you know, through everything. The only thing that I could think of as I was driving along is, "Okay, John, you're going to get my car on Monday when I get back to do an alignment." They get those tires so that they're going to go straight because I'm sure that it was all messed up. Well, the reality is Paul is telling us that that's what has to happen to us. We need an alignment. We need to, to line up what we are doing and how we are living with God and God's purpose. Verse 14 tells us how that's done. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. To be led by the Spirit isn't what we often hear. Things like, uh, the Spirit led me to tell you that you should become a minister. Or, for the single guy or single girl, the Spirit has led me to tell you that you should marry me. I've heard a lot of those kinds of things over the years. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into what it means to be a son of God. He is going to guide the way that we think so that we reflect our Father's character and nature. The Holy Spirit is going to take the Word of God, work it into our spirit, and by that, we will be led to live as sons of God. But if you're not reading the Word, if you are not spending time in prayer, you can't be led by the Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that you have been taught. But if you're not studying the Word and and, and reading the Word, if you're not sitting under the, the teaching and preaching of those who hold the Word dear, then you will go astray. You will not live as sons of God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit makes our faith come alive by making sure that our alignment is straight were the things and the truths of God. But how do you know? How do you know if you are being led by the spirit? Is there some magic eight ball that you know you shake up and it's going to come up to the top and is going to tell you how to live? Do we have the Urim and Thummim of the Old Testament that the priests used to determine whether God was for or against something? Do we cast lots, as they did in, in, in Acts chapter 1? Do we put out a fleece like Gideon? Paul says that whoever is led by the Spirit are sons of God. Early in Romans 8, he reminded us that if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, then we are none of His. We don't belong to Him if we don't have the Holy Spirit. So what is this big secret, then, of what it means to be led by the Spirit, to line our lives with God? Well, Paul gives us that in his his fourth point in this text. And that is that the Holy Spirit makes our adoption awaken. Our adoption awaken. You see, everyone who has been born of God everyone is then a child of God. Everyone who is born in Christ or through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are children of God. And that's a, a great truth. But not everyone who is born again has understood what it means to be adopted into this family. Not everyone has really awakened to the reality of what it means to be sons of God, children of God. Let's see how this works out in verse 15 of our text. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Whenever you're looking and reading through the Scripture, and you run across a verse like this, you should say, well, what does this have to do with the verse that's before it? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. But you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Where has he talked about fear up to this point? Why is he saying that in this place? Well, think of it this way. If a child if a family adopts a child and that child is not an infant, but you know is maybe three years old or, or older, sometimes the transition of bringing that child into the family is, is very difficult. and the older the child, the more difficult it becomes. You see that most children that are adopted at three years or older, most of them have had a a very difficult childhood. That's why they're being adopted. It is, it's been a, a tough time for them. They've learned fear in those early years of their life. So when they do something wrong and the adopted parent discovers it, their expectation is that whatever happened to them in the past that created fear, or pain, is going to happen to them again in this new situation. And so their reaction is a reaction of fear. But if the adoptive parent reacts with love and kindness, if they treat the adopted child with the same heart and attitude that they treat the rest of their children, at some point, when a difficult situation arises for that child, they will say, Father or Daddy. And that tells you that for the first time, they've understood what it means to be adopted into that family. For the first time, they have grasped that this is not what they were in before, but this is a family, and they belong to that family. If you're a child of God, and you are led by the Spirit of God, when trouble comes into your life, do you respond with anxiety and with fear? Or do you cry, Abba, Father? Sometimes you hear that the word Abba is a uh, a term of endearment from a little child, sort of like daddy, daddy uh, kind of thing. But that's really not what Paul is describing here. There are three places where this phrase, Abba, Father, appears in the New Testament. The first is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the midst of His agony, as He's contemplating the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, Abba, Father, if at all possible, can you take this cup from me? The second is this passage here in Romans eight. And the third is a parallel passage to this that's found in Galatians chapter four. Let me read that for you. Galatians chapter four. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, it's basically what Paul is saying here in Romans eight. That's what's being talked about here. We have the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ at work in our lives, this one who who came into the world to die for us, to redeem us from underneath the, the weight of the law. Romans chapter 7, we've spent so much time on so that we might receive the adoption of sons. But it goes on and it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's exactly what he's saying in Romans chapter 8. None of these passages are about a daddy. These passages are not about... You know, some little kid stubbing his toe and going, you know, daddy, 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 and jumping up on the lap. This is about an adoption, about a child that was living in fear in anger against that child for whatever reason. And for the first time in their life, when some problem comes, they're able, instead of cowering in fear like a slave. They're able to say, Father. To know that the Father is there for them, that the Father loves them. The point that both Jesus and Paul are making is that this term, Abba, Father, There's a term of someone who has been led by the Spirit to know that they are sons of God. And how do they know that? When they come through suffering. And they know that their Father loves them. That their Father cares for them. That's what verse 17 reminds us of, isn't it? That we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. In times of hardship, do you blame God? Are you like Job's wife and you say, curse God and die? Or do you go to him, knowing that the loving Father is there? In spite of the stuff that Julius read this morning, In verses 31 and following, in spite of the fact that we go through times of sorrow, times of hardship, sword and famine, nakedness and peril, we're dying daily as Christians. Do we know the Father loves us? In that, and that nothing can separate us from that love. That's what this is about. It's not just that we we stub our toe and we go jump up on the lap and daddy, daddy, hold me tight. No, it is in the midst of the suffering, it is in the midst of the pain, it is in the midst of the hardship of our lives. That we still look up and we say, Father. You're my father. You love me. And you'll walk through this with me. And nothing will separate me from that love. Abba. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's really saying, Father, Father, but no matter what your language, No matter if you speak Aramaic or if you speak Greek. Both can cry out, Abba, if you're Aramaic. Pater, if you're speaking Greek. Yes, God is my Father. That's what the Holy Spirit leads us into. And that is what gives us hope. The Holy Spirit then makes our faith come alive by making our adoption awaken within us the understanding of that adoption so that we see God as Father in all circumstances at all times. Which brings us to the fifth way that the Apostle Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit and his work in us in this section which is that the Holy Spirit makes our assurance secure. You cannot know that you're a Christian because you prayed a prayer at some point. A few days ago, I was uh, watching the news, and a commercial came on with Franklin Graham. And within a, a minute on that commercial, Franklin Graham said, God loves you, and he wants you to, to, to know him. So say this prayer with me. And if you say this prayer with me, then God will become yours and, and you will have life uh, through him. Well, I happen to really like Franklin Graham. I appreciate what he has done and the words uh, that he speaks and, and the many people who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But what he said is not true. You cannot give a person assurance that they are a Christian because they prayed some prayer. Especially when you haven't laid out an understanding of what the gospel is beforehand. They have no understanding of what sin is. They have no understanding of the rebellion against God. They have no understanding of, of what it means to have violated God's honor and His glory and the cost of that salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. You and I can tell them what the Bible says is necessary in order for them to be saved. We can tell them about faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can tell them that God, if they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, that God says that He will give them life. We can tell them what it's necessary in order for them to grow in a relationship with God. But you and I can never give a person assurance of their salvation. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Paul writes in verses 16 and 17 about how a person can have it a secure assurance of their relationship with God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. But that does not mean that you get a good feeling within yourself. I had a friend many years ago who identified, after I had known him for a while, as a gay man. I learned from my mother that he was very much in love with me. This young man was a professing Christian. Uh, We had gone to many Christian activities together. We had sung together in churches. We had traveled halfway across the United States together to Christian ministries. When I found out of his interest in me, I asked him how, how he could call himself a Christian and still want to live that lifestyle. Not struggle with it, but want to live that lifestyle. Mind you, this is many years ago, and and I probably would approach that situation a whole lot differently today than I did back then. But my point this morning is not how I responded, which was probably not the, the best way to respond, but was his response. His response is, I feel that God loves me and that he accepts me just the way that I am. Well, I disagreed with him then, and I would disagree with him today. Just because someone feels emotions or they think that, that uh, somehow they are okay, that doesn't make it okay with God. It doesn't make it okay so that they can have a relationship with God. Instead, the testing of our faith comes in suffering. Those who are led by the Spirit, who have been awakened to the reality of their adoption as sons, will have the assurance of their salvation by crying, Abba, Father, in good times and in bad. The Holy Spirit is the one who is going to draw you close to the Father. He will quicken your inner spirit to love the Word of God, to love to pray, which we'll see more when we get to verses 26 and 27 of this chapter, and to love God's family and want to be with God's family. It's not so much that he assures us by some inner feeling, but by bringing us closer to the Father, especially in times of suffering. As we learn to cry with the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But if not, Not my will, but yours be done. You see, it's it's the inclusion of all that that helps us to know that it is Abba, Father, that we are children of God. And so the Holy Spirit makes our faith come alive by making our assurance secure. What a great passage that we have here as it walks us through the work of the Holy Spirit, who takes the atonement of Jesus Christ, applies it to us, making it real to us, and in doing so, changing our allegiance from allegiance to self and to the flesh to an allegiance to God and His glory, aligning us to what it means to be sons of God, to live in ways that reflect the character and the nature of our eternal father an awakening in us an understanding of what it means to have been adopted into this great grand eternal family so that we have an assurance that is secure in him so as we've shared that thought, I want to leave you with a few questions. Because the scripture tells us, in conclusion, that we should test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. You see, it's, it's not, do I feel good on Sundays when I come to church? Do I, that, does the music make me want to clap? question is, in the midst of the hardest times of my life, how do I view God? How do I see him? You see, if you test your faith, test yourself to see if you're in the faith, do you know for certain that you're a child of God? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to give us that assurance but if we're not studying the word and we aren't in prayer, then it's impossible for the Holy Spirit to give us a true assurance. How active is the Holy Spirit then in your life? Have you come to know what it is to be a child of God? adopted into his family and the glorious power of the Holy Spirit who daily aligns you to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, speak to our hearts. Draw us into your presence. Rescue us from ourselves. For we are apt to go astray everyone, to go our own way. And unless you rescue us from ourselves, we are bound to live a life of the living dead. Meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. But you have given us your spirit. If we are in Christ, if the reality of what he has accomplished in paying an infinite death, for our infinite debt, then we might begin to understand what it means to be adopted into your family. Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts today, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.